Tandem Nomads, episode 236. So I'm here to simply change the narrative around international taxes. We all know that it's not necessarily something very sexy, but once you know the ins and outs and how the system works, you can really make the system work for you and use all of the tax incentives and tax exemptions that exist and that are made there for you. Hello, Nomad Nation. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show and entrepreneurship platform where you can find great inspiration and tips to grow a successful, portable business and thrive in your global nomadic life. This is ML. I'm a business and marketing coach and the founder of Tandem Nomads. Today, we're going to talk all about taxes. Oh, taxes. And this is one of the biggest challenges of global nomads when they live on the move is figuring out how to set up their tax strategy and their where to pay their taxes as they move from a country to another. And this is specifically an episode related to those of you who have their own business, obviously. So to talk about this topic, I'm excited to welcome to you a great expert in the topic. Kathy, thank you for being here. And are you ready for this ride? I'm ready. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure. So Nomad Nation, Kathy is the founder of CNCO of Wanderers Wealth, an international tax consulting firm who helps digital nomads and location-independent entrepreneurs figure out their current tax situation and provide them with better international tax solutions. So Kathy, I have been so impressed with the work you do and I've been following you now for a long time. I found you on Instagram and absolutely loved your positive outlook on taxation. We always look that as, oh my God, this daunting thing. Uh, and this thing that we try to avoid and just frustrates us, but you managed to actually do it in such a fun way, first of all, but also like look at the positive outcomes and opportunities that comes in. So this is, I wanted to thank you for being here and coming in and helping us switch maybe our mindset regarding taxations, even if we'll see it's still a complex situation, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. As you said, it definitely is something fun for me and I've just created systems and processes in place that make the system more easier for people to understand and like just this morning you know I woke up and I spoke to two of my clients and one of them is uh, in the airplane on the way to Dubai to pick up his residency to set up his company and another one was in the airplane on in the airport on the way to Costa Rica and you know he's completely tax-free now and starting a completely new life for over there so I just see it as this fun thing where we get to choose the best that each country has to offer if we have that flexibility of being a global citizen of moving around and picking the best that each country offers in terms of the tax system as well yeah so I can't wait to dive into this topic but before we go into this topic I'd love to have a little bit of a of a background story of how did you get to be to do what you do now and a little bit of how you live yourself right now <laughs> yeah, so I started out with a very academic field of international relation, economic politics, and did actually a year in diplomacy. So I was working at an embassy, and then I realized that wasn't really what I wanted to do. I kind of figured that I wanted to help people more directly. So in my mind, the way to go was to become a lawyer. 
So I became a lawyer. I ended up studying business, economics, and tax laws, and became a tax lawyer eventually in Australia. And I am a global citizen myself. So I was born in Mexico, grew up in Switzerland, moved to Australia seven years ago. And for the last three years, I've been living as a digital nomad on the road, basically. And right now I'm in Bali, Indonesia. And this is the longest I've ever been in one place, which is four months. <laughs> Other than that, we move around a lot usually. Wow, this is a lot. So um, this is quite an interesting adventure that you're having. And you do that with your partner, correct? Yes, correct. Yes. Yeah, and is... really, I just wanted to take off a year and have a, tech, uh, a gap year and travel around. And as I did that, um, people around me, I started meeting many entrepreneurs and all these different travel locations. And they asked me, you know, what did you do? And I said, well, I was a tax lawyer. And they were like, oh, I could use your help. And that was how I started out with Wonder as well. Really, it was a bit by accident. People just asked me for their help. And then the more I dove deeper into that topic of different tax residencies, different tax incentive programs, I was like, there is something here that we don't talk about much. So right. I started exploring that way deeper. And that's what I do now. Why do you think it's that complicated for global nomads to build a tech strategy? Yeah, I think it's so complicated because a lot of times people aren't really aware of their tax, tax obligations and where they come from. So obviously, if you were born in one country, you grow up in one country and you work in one country, it's not going to be much of an issue, then it's pretty straightforward, which country country has, um, has you within its tax residency rules and has basically like jurisdiction over you and is able to tax you as opposed to if you move around a lot or even like have residencies in different places, there might potentially be two countries that are claiming you as their tax resident. Mm -hmm. And that means that you have tax obligation in two different countries. And then it not only just depends on where you're physically located, it also depends sometimes on different ties, such as where is your family located? Where um, do you have a home address? Where have you got potentially a business set up? Or maybe you even have a rental property somewhere. So it's, it gets a bit trickier the more ties you add to your circumstances and the more countries are within the ties of um, potential uh, pot that, of countries that could claim you as a tax resident. Yeah, so I love that. In, in today's episodes, we just need to be aware that, you know, everybody, as you said, situation is very different. So it's really hard to give one answer, fit in for everybody. But I would like to focus today on the specificities of expats who actually move from a country to another uh, for a couple of years. Like that's a bit of a difference with digital nomads who actually go from a place to another for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and then move to another, which is a little bit different versus when you actually stay for over 180 days per year in a country. That's an important factor. Um, and as well as the specificities when we are an expat partner and we have a business and our situation is also tied to our type of visa. And I think that's maybe a good setup to kind of start the conversation there. Um, what do you think so far? Um, yeah, I would say the situation 
can be actually a bit easier if you are an expat tourist simply moving to one country and staying there in that one country for a little longer mm. as opposed to you know a digital nomad who the only thing that they will do and are able to do is just get a rental place in their name get a lease and then they go off again and are not even present in the country so I would say it can definitely become to your benefit if you are staying a little bit longer in one place because then at least you have the certainty that yes you are present physically present there I want to start with a little bit of the premise and an example of the typical situation where most of the solo entrepreneurs who have a business and especially those who are expat partners at the same time are in. And until now, the biggest solution was to say, okay, um, we register a business at home, back home, our home base, whatever that can be. Sometimes even that is complicated, but let's say that it's not. And then we pay taxes back home and then we figure out if there's a bilateral agreement between the country where we live and the, and the country where our business is set up. The thing is, it's not as simple as that, right? That's like the ideal situation. I want to hear what you think of that scheme and what are your advice in that situation? Yeah, actually, that scenario is pretty common as well that people come to me with it. And what I would say the issue with that one is that you might be paying to an old home country, Texas, in that you haven't even lived for the last five years. And then on top of that, you might trigger as well a tax obligation with another country that you're currently living in. So you might end up in that position where, yes, um, you could potentially be double tax. And then, yes, we're looking at double tax agreements. But even in some cases where there are double tax agreements, they sometimes still... Um, you know, you don't get away fully, like I've just recently had someone from the UK with a Singaporean um, job, so they travel a lot between the both, COVID aside, and there is a double tax agreement, but the double tax agreement doesn't fully eliminate double taxes, It there's the, the one UK is still allowed to tax them on the difference of what they're already being taxed on in Singapore, so there's a top-up tax on top of that, mm -hmm. so it's not very ideal, I would say, if you're between two countries because you're risking to having to pay taxes on two different places. So where we usually start is to being able to get out of their old um, tax home country if that is an option for them. I know a lot of people don't necessarily want to cut all ties with their old tax home country because it usually comes together with, you know, you not necessarily being able to spend that much time anymore back home or not necessarily being able to use um, whatever social security contributions they have. So, but if you do have the flexibility and if you don't mind and don't spend that much time anymore at home, then I would definitely recommend first starting out with making sure that you can get out of the old tax mm -hmm. system. And if you're not from the US, then anybody else other than US citizens are able to get out of their old tax system. So I would definitely take advantage if you aren't necessarily from the US. Okay, so I love that advice. Here is the challenge where I see that I see with that. And I do know that there are now solutions and no more and more, but the problem getting out with our tax home base 
is okay where to set up the company if you have a business right where to set up your company so that you don't have to register and then deregister every single time mm. you move so what is your take on that yeah definitely that's a great point and there are so many tax friendly countries around the world who are super entrepreneurial friendly and um you know especially for solopreneurs right now estonia is a very popular one in europe um even a us llc for non-american ones is a very popular one and other people prefer you know a more financial stable place like Singapore for a setup so it kind of depends on your preferences obviously but um, those countries are very entrepreneur friendly very tax friendly and they know that most um, foreigners who own the companies there aren't necessarily present mm -hmm. so the system is basically designed for foreigners to own companies who aren't going to be present because it's actually quite hard to be able to live in Singapore um, to get the right visa. So, but yet there's so many people with Singaporean companies and the same is for people who own US LLCs, uh, they are foreigners and it's actually quite hard to be able to move to the US like long-term on a valid visa. So these systems are really designed for foreigners to invest in the country, to set up a business structure, to contribute to, you know, monthly accounting, to pay taxes. Because in Singapore, for example, there is a 17% tax, um, which can be lowered down, obviously. In Estonia as well, there is a dividend uh, distributions tax. So they are aware of the fact that most people who are going to come and set up are actually living overseas. And that's what makes it so attractive because they're basically saying, please, foreigners, come invest in our country, help us out with our revenues. But in exchange, you'll get a nice uh, business set up that is foreigner friendly. And there's usually so many good packages, especially with Estonia, like the apps that they've created and the accounting packages that you get, they are like, one of the best deals where you yeah just do everything from the app it's really the digitalization is next level <laughs> next completely next level and nomad nation to learn more about the estonia solution go to the show notes of this episode where i have actually interviewed the representatives of this program in estonia who explain you how it works and we actually have a second episode as well with an accounting company that helps you understand how to set up the business in Estonia. So make sure to check out in the show notes of this episode. And the link is tandemnomads.com slash 238. So if you want to dive into that, uh, please do. But I still would like, Kathy, if we could kind of, um, it would be too long to go into details of every country, but could you pick like the top three countries like you did now and maybe explain a little bit how it works to make it work, mm -hmm. to, to, to get into it. And what, why would we choose one country or the other to set up the, com the company, even if we don't live there? Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And I think it, it also comes setting up in those countries that are tax friendly, entrepreneurial friendly, that are foreigner friendly. It also comes, I think, with a little bit of peace of mind, knowing that, you know, they know you're a foreigner, that you're not there yet. You'll always be certain that the business will be located there and just will be paying its taxes there. And um, yeah, as in the various different options, I would say, For example, with the US LLC, it's a pass-through entity structure. So what that means is 
it's a separate entity to yourself. So you have sort of a corporate structure and you can invoice in that um, entity's name. But the way it works is all of the income that the US LLC makes passes through to you on the individual level. And then you have to pay personal income taxes on the income that the US LLC makes. Now, the reason why this setup is so interesting for foreigners is because you end up having to pay personal income taxes wherever you are a tax resident of. So if you manage to move like one of my clients this morning to Costa Rica, a country that is territorial tax and doesn't tax you on any of the income that comes from outside foreign sources, then you are basically ending up having to pay zero taxes. Obviously, if you were living in Austria or in another high tax country like France, um, where you pay high personal income taxes, it's not necessarily as beneficial because then you end up paying your taxes in Austria or France, depends on how they treat a um, hybrid entity. But it's going to work best for you if you know that you are in a foreign, um, in a tax friendly country, in the case with a US LLC, where it is a pass through entity. Yeah. And it's not unique to the to the states that pass through entity actually exists as well in the UK. It exists in Canada as well. And in all of those three places, it works best if it's foreign owned because foreigners are then able to live in a place with reduced personal income taxes and be able to get out basically most of the business income without having a high uh, taxes on it. So sometimes, you know, people think, oh, that only exists there, but the, re the reality is, no, there's so many more countries and even Western countries, you know, even countries where you would have never thought of like US, UK, who have themselves high taxes that offer these beneficial setups for foreigners who don't live there. Interesting. So just to clarify, does it mean that if you have a business set up in the UK, in US or Canada, and you don't live there, you don't pay taxes there? Or what does that mean? Could you give a bit more clarity on that? Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much how it works. So if you declare that you're a foreigner, you have a residential address somewhere outside of the country. Um, there is a bit more to it, like you're not usually supposed to be running operations from the country, so it must really be a all foreign owned and all done from outside of the country, then um, you're just simply going to say, yeah, I'm foreigner, I will pay my taxes wherever I'm a personal tax resident off and that will not be in the UK that will also not be in the US nor in France so that's how usually the tax returns are filed out you still declare like what the business has made and not uh, but you won't have to pay the taxes in that country within the US for example you're not supposed to be engaged in trade or business in the US so if you're not doing any operations from the US, which also means you shouldn't have any managers in the US, you shouldn't have um, any main employees in the US, you're always allowed to have clients from that place. You're just not allowed to be running operations from that place. That's um, great. Yeah. Great distinction. This is fantastic. And then comes into place, okay, where you live. And that's where you need to figure out what's the taxation. Because from the moment you sit in that country, that's where you have to figure out, okay, what does that mean in terms of taxes, the fact that I'm sitting in that country? 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's the tax residency part. And um, there's so many different countries as well to choose from. Plus, I mean, there's countries with low tax rates, such as in Eastern Europe, you'll find several, you know, like Bulgaria, who has a 10% flat tax rate uh, all across the board. Um, but then you also have countries that have different tax incentive programs, what I call them, or tax exemption schemes, um, who basically give you a couple of years of free um, tax days. Uh, and again, it's not just tax havens. We're not talking about tax havens at all. I'm actually not a big fan of mm. tax havens. Um, we're talking about proper Western countries, you know, who are in the EU. For example, Portugal has a non-habitual residency program, which gives you a special tax status for 10 years. Um, Italy just brought out a new one where they give you up to 90% tax exemption for five years and you can extend it for another five years. What's the and condition for that? Is it just living or is it setting up the business there? No, actually for both Italy and Portugal, it's got nothing to do with the business setup. It's got everything to do with you moving there mm -hmm. and becoming a resident there. So you need to basically have at least a rental agreement um, and be physically present there most of the time if you can. Um, and then as well, just fall within the category for the tax exemption program. So in the case of Italy, it's pretty straightforward in terms of they kind of um, taking in a lot of people, anyone that's moving in, um, you are not allowed to have been a resident there within the last five years. So that qualifies a lot of foreigners that are moving now there, but it also qualifies um, nationals who move back so the, the schemes were actually first designed to attract back all the Italians that had already mm -hmm. left. So that, you know, because both Italy's and Portugal's economy was pretty suffering a lot, like 10 years ago, Portugal has now been able to sort of rise up from it, but Italy is still within it. So they're trying to sort of attract everyone, you know, in hopes to raise the revenue through other means, through people living there and spending money there and whatnot. Um, in in the case of Portugal, uh, there's also different variables in terms of um, depends on if you're a EU, EU citizen or not. That also depends as well, because you might need a visa if you aren't a EU citizen. Um, and if you are already a EU citizen and just move there, you basically just simply register with the municipality hall, get your tax ID number and you can apply online. There's heaps of lawyers who will charge you for it, but you can also do it yourself <laughs> and simply register for the program. And then you just need to know how to fill out the tax forms um, to be able to maximize your tax exemption status because the scheme is designed to attract a lot of foreigners but it's mostly designed so that your passive income isn't taxed and it was actually in the first place designed to attract mostly pensioners so there's so many Swedish Nordic people living in Portugal through that mm. and they were able to you know get their full pensions from Sweden and whatnot without having to pay any taxes in Portugal which Sweden didn't quite like so just within the last couple of years they've introduced a 10% tax for pensioners but if you live on passive income which can be stocks or um, you know now even crypto and whatnot mm -hmm. uh, 
people are basically uh, able to live tax-free. It becomes a bit more tricky when you do run your own business and do activities from mm -hmm. the country. And we can talk a little bit about the limitations, what the risk implications are there. Um, especially within the European zone, it's mostly got to do with that even if you had a business set up, let's say in the US or in Estonia and you live in Portugal, Portugal might consider you at some point that you are actually running your business, managing it and controlling it from their territory. And therefore mm. it should be taxed in Portugal on right. the business level. And that's where you yeah. make a difference with passive income. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that it always depends on the country and how aggressive the tax system is. So far, it looks like Portugal has been pretty friendly to all foreigners and just welcoming everybody in. But you always need to be aware that the rules are written in such a way that the tax office could turn around tomorrow and be like, look, guys, you know, we've taken the liberty to make the rules this lenient so we can change it. And you have to start paying taxes starting from tomorrow. So that's also a thing with tax rules. It's, you know, never black and white. That's why we have always two sides in court, right? One interpreting it one way, another interpreting it the other way and making cases for both sides because there's always one way that you could see a certain case and others that will tell you no. That's why Facebook groups are so confusing whenever you go and ask <laughs> something about taxes. People yeah. will always be like, yeah, no, this is wrong, that is wrong. Like, you will be taxed, you will lose. Yeah. Right. <laughs> There's so much great stuff in what you're sharing here, but as we can see is that it really depends on everybody's case. But what I take away from this is there was a time where we all, where we thought of these tax havens and taxes havens and, and these small countries or islands that will allow you to be there and, and have a, a, a tax-friendly situation. But what I take away from this conversation is that even Western countries, even in Europe and the US and, and other Western countries, we can find solutions to actually make it work. What I'm trying to um, maybe find a way to generalize a little bit, what are the elements to uh, consider when we make that tax decisions? What are the key foundations of those tax decisions? What I take away from this conversation is, first of all, defining the location where the register the business, but also where other incomes come from. The second one is the residency. Where is the resi residency? And here we didn't talk about it. Maybe we should, we should also look at visa requirements. Sometimes that also can impact things. And finally, where to actually pay the taxes. For me, those are the three elements. I don't know if you agree with that. Um, or if you want to add other key elements to consider when making a decision on taxation. Yeah, I would say that is a good summary. Um, definitely in terms of where you end up having to pay taxes, it's usually always wherever you have a tie located. Mm -hmm. So if you're physically present in one country, that will trigger usually your personal income taxes. If your business is set up somewhere, that will usually trigger your business income taxes and any distributions that usual corporations make in terms of salary dividends they usually tax at your personal income tax level and not at the business level right so you mm -hmm. need to consider that as well mm -hmm. and um and then in terms of visa that is actually where it also gets very interesting because with 
all of these different setups and variables that could exist, there's actually also options out there where you can set up a company and then through a company setup, get a visa status, a residency status. Like for example, in the UAE, if you set up a company, you have the option of also buying their residency permit and you're able to stay there for you know as long as you keep the company running the same in bulgaria so for someone who's actually living outside of the eu and would love to move to the eu um, that could be an entry ticket for them to actually go and set up a business entity in bulgaria and then obtain a visa permit to be able to live within the eu mm -hmm. zone so Yeah, that's interesting because that's something that Estonia doesn't do. They give you an e-residency that allows you to register a company, but that doesn't mean that you get to live in Estonia, mm -hmm, whereas other mm -hmm. countries offer you that possibility. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think it's important to also know that I know from my audience, Nomad Nation, not all of them have the actual choice to decide where to go. So sometimes they do, but most of the times they don't. They, they're sent by their company or their partner's company to mm -hmm. that country. Um, So that's when we need to do some more research on an individual base of what kind of visa allows us to do what, uh, because mm -hmm. that can as well impact. So I don't know what kind of general type of visas do you see um, to be aware of that are not friendly in this case and those that are more friendly? Is there any generalization we can make there, although it's so diverse? Yeah, no, I, I get what you mean. But I would say... Um, Those that are not friendly or in general, I would say, especially with uh, entrepreneurs that have online businesses, that's a definite grade zone or has been for a very long time in terms of immigration purposes. Um, and if, for such a long time, there hasn't been really a solution. And even more so when we go to countries that have stricter immigration systems, such as the U.S., Canada, Australia, where it's clearly defined what you're allowed to do on the visa and what you're not allowed to do on the visa. Um, you need to be really careful with, you know, knowing whether or not you're actually allowed to produce your own economic activity or whether you are like on a spouse partner visa that, that doesn't allow you to have your own economic activity. But um, we're definitely seeing solutions popping up now with the digital nomad visas that are coming out, the remote working visas, because there are so many more people now that are working fully online, you know, because of the circumstances and whatnot. So where there was a gray zone for such a long time, it seems that now those digital nomad visas might even come in handy, even, you know, for expats um, that might be in that position where, where you need to show the requirements are usually that you're making a certain um, income. And then once you cross that threshold, you're actually allowed to be working online from that country without taking away anyone's job within the country, right? Mm. And that's basically what we're all doing. So now there's almost like a legal solution to a problem that was there before that was like in a gray zone and where we were never quite certain. Obviously, not every country has yet brought out a digital nomad visa and whatnot, but within the last year, there's, there has been around new 15 ones that have come out. And some of them, most of them, I would say they give you a stay of six months up to a year and then they let you extend another time. So you could potentially stay at least two years on that sort of visa. And some of them even come with a tax-free year stay. So that's another cool thing as well about them. 
That's amazing. And that's the great news that I see how much change has been. I've been on my own since 10 years now. And I remember how complicated things were. And the great news is that it's becoming easier and easier as long as we're willing mm-hmm. to do our research. Um, and we'll talk about it, about investing as well in the professional help. I want to I want to talk about that as well a little bit. But before we do that, I want to ask you, what would you recommend to this is the typical, the most impasse kind of scenario that I've seen is when we have a visa that does not even allow us to sit there and work from there. What would you recommend to do? Uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> yes. um, do you have examples of countries or types of visas that actually, uh, do you, are you aware of some examples of visas in that situation? Yeah, well, I'm personally right now in that situation where actually Bali is one of the biggest digital nomad hubs that exists on the world, yet they don't have any digital nomad visas. Mm-hmm. And um, like right now, we're on a business visa here, but you're not really supposed to be working on that visa. You're just supposed to be there as an investor looking for business opportunities. Mm. So that's why I kind of say it kind of depends on which country you decide to be in the gray zone in mm-hmm. um, I would say you know Indonesia has been more flexible obviously they know that they're a digital nomad hub that everyone is sort of working online and everyone is or most people are here on this visa doing this um, and they have announced that they were going to design a digital nomad visa but right now due, due to the circumstances it just has been pushed out Mm -hmm. Um, so it's kind of how risk adverse are you and what you know would the potential consequences be offered again I see I hear a lot of stories from people you know saying oh they they know someone that has been deported and whatnot do I know anyone not at all and am I personally happy to take the risk yeah definitely because we I personally, my lifestyle, we move around a lot. So we, you know, won't be staying much longer and we're out again and then keep moving on again. And ideally, I would love to sign up, you know, to all the digital nomad visas and take advantage of them. And that being the way that I get to stay and work legally in one place. Um, But if you can't, then I guess you need to be asking yourself, well, am I willing to take the risk? Um, you know, do I just simply put my business on hold for the next three years? Or um, am I willing to sort of find and create myself a visa? I also have friends in Australia who have actually done that. They have sort of found, you know, a friend that has sponsored them. And then um, that friend set up a business and employed them. And that's how they were able to get a a working right visa and a long-term visa. And they even got citizenship in the end. But Mm. it's, I guess, how... You have to be creative as well. You have to be so creative with it. Um, But if you're just at this, I don't know, I get a lot of people who are, you know, on working holiday visas in Australia and whatnot. And if they're just at the starting stages uh, with uh, running a business and whatnot, I would say, you know, can you wait 
four months until you are back in your home country and you know that you're not gonna be banned you know forever and whatnot instead of taking the risk or do you just want to go for it yeah. yeah sometimes we just have to accept to to be in the gray zone as you said and one of the things that i've seen in some countries with they were not necessarily allowed to work is to make sure that they don't have any marketing or visible activity within the country like and that's the benefit of building a portable business is that you can choose where your country your clients come from as long as you make sure that you're not visible in that country um mm-hmm. i think that's mm-hmm. also another way to to protect ourselves yeah definitely and i i definitely think you know the governments are still like 10 years behind of mm. the actual age that we're living in like we're living <laughs> in this digitalized age where everyone's able to make an income online selling no matter what and um and also you know where there's another different currency now coming up crypto and governments are still trying to catch up with the legislations it always takes a long time to put laws through parliaments and whatnot so yeah you just kind of have to work with whatever you have right now and we've been waiting you know for the last two years for this digital nomad visa to come out to indonesia but it's still not here so we'll move along and then come back when once it's out right my biggest message in the past years has always been it's not because it's complicated it's not straightforward that you want to give up everything and just not do anything and that's for me the the message is to be creative and try to find solutions and understand that, you know, when, when there are, in, depending on where we come from, but there's co- some countries where we, we are educated that it has to be black or white. And the thing mm. is, it's not black or white. So if you want to succeed in building this portable business and, and be able to move, you also need to be comfortable with the, um, with the, uncertainty of not knowing because even the governments themselves don't know exactly what the heck they want to do with this <laughs> yeah <laughs> right I, so. I yeah I fully agree I always think you know where there's a will there's a way and if you right. really want that you are going to find the right people who might be able to help you out accountants are a good place to start they're usually very creative in terms of you know helping out with business structure or yeah being able to give some sort of working permit or that sort of thing. Even, yeah, migration agents and migration lawyers, they usually know um, good tricks. I know so many people, especially in Asia, who are here long-term, I'm taking, you know, I'm talking decades on student visas and they go mm-hmm. twice per week to a Thai class to learn Thai <laughs> to keep their visa running so that they can actually live there and, yeah, be there permanently. Interesting. Yeah. So a perfect segue, because that was one of the last questions I want to ask you. I found it very challenging, actually, to find the right person um, to because lawyers, there's two type of people I think we need to be aware of. There's um, immigration lawyers, there is uh, taxation lawyers or advisors, and there is then also corporate lawyers when it's about registering your company and all of that tied with accountants. Sometimes the accountant does the advisory. Sometimes they just do the, the taxation and the management of the accounting. So it depends on which country you are. But I found it really complicated to actually find people who understand the complexity of the global aspect of it. Uh, a lot of them actually are very specialized in their own country. Is there any advice that you have to actually find the right people to do 
the taxes and manage all these aspects because at some point we need to invest in that kind of help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely get where you're coming from. Um, right now, the way my business works is I rely heavily on local partners. That is, mm-hmm. as you said, accountants, lawyers, and even migration agents. Um, and it took me a while to find them and to establish this sort of network. And that is also the benefit of people who come and work with me is that I already have everyone set up, you know, and ready to go in all different countries. Um, so I'm not like searching and looking forever. And I, I would say as well, like accountants, especially in these times, they're super busy, you know, with all new regulation that is constantly coming out now, like stuff like COVID stimulus checks and all of that new legislations that they've never seen before. So right. I, I would definitely say be nice to your accountants. <laughs> <laughs> they must be going yeah, through a completely different period. Um, and, you know, some of them have already such a large client base that they don't have any incentive really to go and investigate into your unique situation Mm, and whatnot right I would definitely say go and look for someone that is specialized with expats and there are quite a few of them I know not as many as the regular ones but there are quite a few like whatever it is UK US expats and tax experts tax accountants and also I see that a lot within expat uh, Facebook groups I don't, you would have probably talked about that as well mm. at one point but I see that people are quite open in sharing whenever they find someone that has mm-hmm. done you know amazing work for them and I yeah always recommend my people as well whenever they go you know like let's say to Costa Rica to join the Costa Rican expat, expat group and then there will mm. usually be a thread of like hey who did your tax returns who did your accountant i need someone that also knows the u.s tax laws and whatnot and that's a great advice yeah that's a great advice speaking of which i think before going into finding the person who does implementation i think it's important to think of building that strategy so you often talk about strategy and this is what you do tax strategy so i'd love you to explain what is a tax strategy and then how do you help your clients what do you actually do for your clients so my clients come to me and they're usually global citizens and they're asking me where should I move where should I set up my business where should I have my accounts um, in order for it to be the most tax efficient and Mm -hmm. whatever is tax efficient can be different from one person to the other person right Mm -hmm. one person will say I'm totally okay with paying 15% tax and another one will be like make it as close to 0% as possible (laughs) and then someone else will tell me I want to stay within the European zone because that is you know my parents live in Italy or whatnot and then someone else will say I love Central America I want to be roaming around Central America plus it's in the same time zone as the US so I kind of want to stay around there so depending on I really make holistic plans based on people's preferences and then I also look at their business you know what is it um, do they already have a team is the team based anywhere are they distributed in different countries what are the operations like is it purely solopreneur tied to them where they're located then we want to be looking more at countries that have more flexible rules and don't have such strict um, 
control management uh, rules. And then we also look at how are you going to access your money, right? Like, are you going to be able to move somewhere and then set up bank accounts? So we do bank account setups as well and repatriation strategies, which is basically how do you get access to your money? Is it going to be through dividends or salaries? Because it's actually treated differently in tax terms, whether you receive it as more of a passive way, dividends or as salaries or as director's fees or sending simply invoices um, mm. because you need to set up a freelancer status wherever you're located. So it's yeah. kind of all of those different pieces. I call it the four fundamental pillars, which is looking at your old tax residency, your old home country, your new tax residency, your business setup and your bank accounts. And just putting That's all another big piece, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's another big piece as well. So I definitely, you have a great resource for our listeners, Nomad Nation. Uh, Kathy has prepared the roadmap for your tax ob- obligations. It's a, it's a guide that you can download on the show notes of the episode that explains you all these fundamentals that are really important. So check out the link, tandemnomads.com slash 236, where you can download this guide. And thank you so much, Kathy. I think I could continue for hours talking to you. Maybe we should come back <laughs> because there's so much more we could cover, but this was one of the longest episodes in a while, but I really appreciate it all all your insights um and is there any final message you want to share before we say goodbye to make to help those who are in that limbo wondering how to do this um yeah i think one thing as well because you mentioned you know i work together mostly with digital nomads and people who are i guess more freer in terms of moving around but even if you don't necessarily have that flexibility, there's actually a whole expert scheme um, available. And that includes, again, Western countries, like even countries like Japan has one, New Zealand has one, where you can get tax exemptions if you fall on the category of being an expat, which means sometimes that you were moved with a company to another country. Mm-hmm. And then you get like four years tax-free status or whatnot. And yeah, so again, it's available to everyone if you know where to look and you want to get not necessarily maybe you know your brick and mortar accountant to look at into this mm. you want to get an expert who kind of knows that these things exist and how you can make them work for you right and the clients who work with you on that tra- tech strategy actually get access as well to your network of accountants right yes exactly that's this correct is, yes this is great and i yeah, I don't just offer, you know, one-on-ones because my time is very limited these days. I also have many digital products now. I do have one specially for where to set up your business. I have one specially created to do the whole full setup that walks you through the four fundamental pillars. So I've put it all out there. The knowledge is all out there. I didn't just keep it to myself. <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah, Nomad Nation, check out as well Kathleen online courses and her workbook and all the resources we're going to collect all the resources that she has for you and put them in the show notes of this episode on 236. Thank you so much, Kathy. We'll keep in touch. Who knows if there's any development we should be aware of, let us know. But Nomad Nation, I hope this episode was helpful for you. And as we said, there's so much directions we can go, but hopefully you could see all the main things to think about as you build your tax strategy. Just before saying goodbye there's one thing i've noticed kathy when i listen to your instagram uh, like 
tips and videos is how much you seem, it seems like a lot of people don't even think of building a tech strategy and, and why is it so important? Do you want to say a couple of words about that? I would say, first of all, is because a lot of people don't know that they could actually be in a better situation. Mm -hmm. So they simply continue paying um, 35 to 45% in taxes. Obviously, it's marginal tax rates um, when they could actually be, you know, paying 10% on something like that. And it's just the shift that comes with that. That is really what drives me as well. Um, you know, seeing people who are like, oh, now that I'm actually paying less than 10%, I'm more motivated to put more into my business to, you know, make more income because I'm not having to give away half of it. Like mm. now that I have actually all of this money available that isn't taken away every month, I I'm starting to build up a foundation. I'm starting to build up a sustainability project. Mm -hmm. So it's really seeing like what uh, the benefits can be of being able to save money in taxes to put into other projects that are going to help more people. Yeah. I love your outlook on this. So thank you again for your precious insights, uh, Kathy. And Nomad Nation, I hope this was helpful. Check out all the resources on the show notes of this episode and meet you in the next one. Stay tuned to turn your challenges into great opportunities. <laughs>